At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The Bigger Picture. Going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. You're listening to a Share Radio podcast. As if you didn't know already, there's a week to go until the public votes in what is the most important once-in-a-generation referendum on Britain's membership of the European Union. Well, I'm joined on the line by the Secretary of State for Justice and, of course, prominent Leave campaigner Michael Gove. Michael Gove, a very good day to you. So was the Chancellor's emergency Brexit budget a gift for your campaign? I don't think it was the wisest thing for the Remain Council to uh, talk in the terms that they did yesterday. Because everybody knows that uh, if we vote to leave the European Union, there won't be a crisis the next day demanding an emergency budget. In fact, the leader of the in campaign, Lord Rhodes, the, uh, the former chief executive of Marks and Spencer, actually says that the day after we vote to leave, things will be pretty much the same. There will be a process of divergence over time, but that's a process which we can manage at our own pace and which I believe, and an increasing number of business people believe, will see Britain's economy grow, not diminish. Right, so he handed you a gift. Well, again, it's difficult when you're looking at uh, a referendum campaign to make judgments about the other side's uh, position, because you're making a really positive case. And I'm trying to make my own positive case. But I do think that uh, it was a mistake for the Remain camp to make such exaggerated claims about... Uh, what they thought the risks of, of leaving might be. I entirely understand that the remaining camp will want to accentuate risk, and I entirely understand that there are people uh, whom they can deploy to make that argument. But the suggestion that there would be an instant 20 or 40 billion pound black hole in public spending the moment we voted to leave, well, that, that, that simply wasn't uh, uh, likely to convince. And I think that the public reaction to the statement shows that this was uh, not a good idea for the Remain Cap. Has Bernard Jenkins, or is Bernard Jenkins, picking a fight with the Governor of the Bank of England by warning him to keep out of saying, well, to avoid saying anything in the run-up to the referendum? I don't think Bernard is picking a fight. I think he's simply ensuring that we stick to the constitutional propriety. But the Bank Um, of England isn't covered by the rules of PERDA. No, the Bank of England is absolutely not governed by the rules of PERDA. Um, and also the governor of the Bank of England is, is entitled to his own view. And indeed, he, he shared it when he was questioned by the Treasury Select Committee. But I think it's important that uh, the integrity and the reputation of the Bank of England are maintained throughout. And, and that, I think, requires on the, on the governor, and I'm sure he will, um, uh, to ensure that any uh, comments he makes or any interventions that he makes in this debate are reasoned, proportionate and backed up. But, but he has said, look, I'm not giving my own opinion. I'm simply, he's looking at this as an economist, that if Britain leaves Europe, these are possible scenarios. He didn't say that Britain could go into a recession. He said there was a chance of a technical recession. There is a difference. So hasn't Bernard Jenkins overreacted? You're absolutely right. There is a, a difference. I, I do think that um, while I don't entirely agree with everything that Mark Carney has said, but so far his comments have been balanced and proportionate. I think that Bernard was simply to ensure that on a high-profile occasion tonight um, at the Mansion House, 
that the, uh, the governor of the Bank of England uh, maintained that. As I say, I, I, I disagree with one or two of the points the bank governor has made, but he's entirely within his rights to make uh, measured, proportionate and evidence-based interventions. Right, but the thing is, is that it doesn't seem measured. The fact that he has taken legal advice and the governor has taken this as a threat, this is not measured. I think that Bernard is always, always at pain to make sure that anything that he does in, in this debate or more broadly is rooted in the law and, um, and, and in particular um, in, in keeping with some um, uh, constitutional proprieties. But as I said before, the governor is not hidebound by Perda. He's actually been rather courteous because he's abided by the rules, even though they don't apply to him. Yes, I, I, that's a fair point, and you won't get me criticising the governor. But Bernard is the chairman of the House of Commons Constitutional Affairs uh, Committee, Public Administration Constitutional Affairs Committee, um, and he takes his role in that regard very seriously. Indeed, um, there have been a couple of occasions in the past when uh, Bernard and his committee have uh, taken legal advice and, and written to me about my ministerial role. So, of course, Burns has strong views on this matter, the future of Britain um, and the case for leaving, but he's also someone who is a stickler for the rules, and, um, uh, I, and it's on that basis that he's into Okay, let's move on now and take a look at the economy in a post-Brexit world. We know that the United Kingdom imports more than it exports to Europe. The value of that business is put at £88 billion. But the worry is that the import-export gap is likely to rise if Europe applies tariffs to British goods. So in other words, there's a risk that the trade deficit will increase. It will be bloated. What do you say to that? I do think it's in the interest of the European Union, and certainly not in the interest of its dominant economic uh, power, Germany, to impose tariffs on Britain. Because, as you quite rightly point out, they sell more to us than we sell to them. So uh, we don't need to appeal to any sense of uh, uh, generosity on the part of the Germans. We simply need to look at their self-interest. It's in the self-interest of German car manufacturers to ensure that they have tariff-free access to the UK. Uh, a fifth of German car production is sold in the UK. Uh, so the uh, idea that uh, Audi or BMW are going to want to deliberately cut off their nose to spite their face doesn't seem to me to hold water. Well, they wouldn't necessarily cut off their nose to, to spite their face. They might actually build up their other key export markets like the United States, France and China. Yes, but one of the problems, of course, that uh, uh, Germany has is that the European Union has been poor at negotiating trade as we have, in the European Union, there is no trade deal between the EU and America, no trade deal between the EU and China. Countries like Switzerland and Iceland have trade deals with China. Um, and given that um, uh, the one you know, major export market for German manufactured goods, uh, uh, which is tariff-free, is the UK, I can't see the Germans wanting to erect tariffs. How would you deal with the possibility of, reduced, of, of a reduced trade surplus in services? There is the theory that UK exporters selling to Europe will lose their passporting rights. I don't think that's right either. I know that there are some people in the city who have issued some warnings, but there are others in the city who think that financial services would benefit from being outside the, uh, the European Union. It's certainly been the case that the European Commission and some of the other member states have proposed policies in the past that would have hit financial services. And it's striking that there are so many people within um, uh, the city who have moved towards advocating leave in the course of the last few months. So I don't think that the... Um, uh, the question of passporting will materially affect the capacity of financial services and, of course, the parallel services that go alongside them, like services, well, to continue to speak. 
Sure. Let me let me point you to Neil Woodford. Neil Woodford is a very influential fund manager in the city. Back in February, he commissioned research from Capital Economics. This is an independent economic think tank, which said that without passporting rights, UK exports of financial services could fall by half by around ten billion pounds. Has he got it wrong? Yes, I think it's. it's I think that is a projection. It's a forecast. We've had lots of forecasts um, during the course of the uh, referendum campaign. There are others who think that um, our financial services will only grow. There are four big financial services centres. Well, how are they likely to grow? Well, because of the the specific advantages that Britain has um, uh, alongside New York, Singapore and and Hong Kong. They're the four biggest financial centres in the world. And the reasons why they succeed are uh, the English language, uh, our common law traditions, the concentration of expertise in in the UK's case, even our time zone, our global soft. Uh, underpins the strength of financial services more than that. We don't have a single market in services um, in, in the European Union at the moment, but what we could do if we were outside the EU is forge trade deals with other countries like China, the US, Japan, and so on, which would only um, uh, strengthen those areas of our economy where we are already world leaders like financial services. In your post-Brexit vision, you feel that Britain will do very well, it can survive outside of Europe, but let's face it, there are some sectors of the UK economy that may probably do better than others. Which ones are vulnerable to a contraction and how would or indeed should they be supported if the European safety net, for example, isn't there? Well, I think that uh, the, the, the principle of a European safety net doesn't really apply. I think that um, if you look at what's happening in the European Union at the moment, uh, apart from being a safety net, it's actually a danger zone. The uh, the problems that the single currency has generated, not just for countries like Greece, but also for Italy, are profound. And um, uh, one economist today, who used to advise the European Commission, has come out, switched from a Remain to Leave, because he thinks that if Britain stays in the EU, that we would be liable for the cough uh, of uh, the collapse of the, or certainly the strains, that the EU zone is facing on the EU's economy. Now, of course, I cannot forecast with perfect accuracy how every sector in the economy will grow or develop in the uh, in the next few years. Um, and, and we've already seen inside the European Union the uh, uh, the collapse of companies like uh, BHF. So, of course, there may be bumps in the road ahead, um, whatever vote we take on the 23rd. But I think that we will be in a stronger position to deal with any uh, difficulties that our economy faces if we vote leave and we're in control. And I, I hear what you say, but what I'm interested in is the support that would or should be given to those sectors that are vulnerable. What sort of support do the post-Brexit government give to a sector, an industry that is faring badly? I think uh, there are a number of things that uh, government can do, and certainly post-Brexit we might have a greater um, uh, flexibility in order to support industries that are going through difficult times. Would that mean government intervention because you wouldn't be hidebound by EU rules in terms of of state support? That's exactly right. I'm not a great fan of government picking winners or um, uh, state aid, but sometimes it is necessary to support industries through troubled times. And of course, the government is doing, even as we speak at the moment, a significant amount to try to help the steel workers in Port Talbot. Um, I think that um, were we outside the European Union, then we would have more flexibility. Again, I don't want to. Uh, promise 
that uh, with a magic wand outside the European Union. But in a sense, you are making promises. You're telling us that if we leave Europe, that we will be liberated. This is a a word that pops up quite regularly in your vocabulary when you're questioned about the virtues of leaving. Yes, I think we would be liberated. We we have um, millions of pounds, hundreds of millions of pounds additional expenditure every week that we would take back from the European Union. And we would also be uh, masters um, of our own destiny, where we, we could make the laws, set the taxes that we can't make or set um, freely at the moment. But there is a difference, and it's an important one, between being liberated, having greater flexibility, having greater freedom, taking back control, and being able to convert um, uh, this country into utopia overnight. And I think it's important to stress that while we will be in a stronger position to cope with anything that the world throws at us after we vote to leave, Um, voting to leave is a way of strengthening our capacity to deal with risk, not eliminating risk altogether. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Would a post-Brexit UK government continue with austerity? Indeed, wouldn't you have to if a... The scenario that uh, some of those in your camp have mapped out doesn't actually materialise. Well, I think austerity is a loaded word, but I know exactly what you mean. I think public cuts, as as, well, George Osborne, let's let's take George Osborne's emergency budget as the roadmap. Well, I think the emergency budget, as we as we discussed earlier, I think that uh, uh, was was an overplaying of the hand. Okay, well, Um, let me drop let me drop the word emergency. Okay, the thrust the the thrust of that that plan that George Osborne put forward were cuts to the public sector, cuts to the NHS, for example. So, looking ahead in a post Brexit world, if uh, the scenario that uh, some some have actually mapped out doesn't materialise, would you have to go for more cuts and perhaps tax increases? No, I don't think so. I, I think that uh, the, it, a path has been laid out by the Chancellor for uh, steady deficit reduction, um, and I think that broad approach is absolutely right. I think that uh, uh, what we'd want to do is to reduce the deficit, get back uh, to a surplus, ideally by 2020, and I think that we would have the flexibility to, to meet those goals if we voted to leave the European Union. But the broad strategic direction for the economy that the Chancellor has set, um, I agree with. There's a week to go, as you know, until the June the 23rd referendum. How would you describe the mood in the out camp now that some of the polls have given you a pretty convincing lead? Um, I think that the out camp, um, I'd say, has, we've looked at the polls, they've, they've fallen and risen, and uh, whether the polls have been uh, apparently favourable to us or apparently critical uh, uh, to us, we've tried to make sure that we uh, make some central basic arguments about the greatest degree of democratic freedom, the greatest degree of control over our taxes and over our borders that we would have if we voted to leave. And uh, I've um, uh, thought enough elections where uh, the polls have moved around but the final result was different to know that uh, you shouldn't put your faith in opinion polls, you should put your faith in making the argument and trying to win people over on the basis of facts. Right, but you're quietly confident. No, not at all. I think that the uh, referendum result is um, uh, hasn't been decided. It won't be decided until people 
um, listen to all the arguments. People are listening hard. They are making up their minds. Um, and I want to try to uh, reach as many people as possible with what I think is a positive and optimistic case for Britain, which is leaving the European Union. Um, and I, I, I do think that some of the scare tactics of the Remain side um, have backfired. But my approach is driven primarily by a desire to reassure people that ultimately this country will be better off if the people sure. who make decisions are, I mean, on our future are those who are emotionally invested. Okay, I mean, obviously you're, you're being very cautious, I understand why, but uh, Nigel Farage, the UKIP leader, um, he's very confident, he actually said George Osborne's emergency budget was, in his words, a fantasy and that the public shouldn't worry as he won't be around much longer as Chancellor. Do you think that George Osborne's days in this job are numbered if the out campaign wins? No, and um, Nigel um, speaks for himself um, and um, that's you know, one of a number of things that Nigel said that um, I don't agree with. Um, so all, all, all I would say is that, um, you know, I've explained, I hope, that I, I didn't necessarily think that uh, yesterday's intervention was the, the wisest thing um, that the Remain camp could have done. But overall, as I think I've also made clear, I think the strategic direction that George Osborne has set for the economy is right. I think that he's been a good chancellor, who an outstanding chancellor, actually, who has uh, rescued this economy, taken it back from the brink. The one area where I disagree with him, the only area, I think, is overall membership of the European Union. The Prime Minister has said that he will continue in office even if the referendum vote goes against him. Is he being realistic, given the blue-on-blue attacks, indeed the severity of those blue-on-blue attacks, or is it just wishful thinking on his part? No, it's absolutely not wishful thinking. Um, I want the Prime Minister to stay um, in office after June the 23rd, whatever the result, and so do uh, my colleagues in vote leave. Um, we, we all recognise the fact that... Well, the Dean Doris doesn't want him there. As far as she's concerned, he's toast either which way. Yes, I know what Nadine said. Uh, and again, Nadine um, uh, speaks for herself with great you know, pungency and forward, but I disagree with her. I think but that is she alone in that? Is that just a lone opinion? Well, it certainly seems to be very, very much a minority opinion. Um, uh, uh, the Conservative MPs I talked to and the other campaigners in the, uh, in the Vote Leave team all want things we can stay as Prime Minister. We respect the mandate that he secured at the general election only because Conservatives won a majority that we're having this referendum. Uh, general election decides the Prime Minister. The referendum is purposely a separate vote to give instructions to the government as to whether or not we should remain or leave. You, you say that, but then... Again, taking it back to Mr Osborne's emergency budget, you had Tory rebels who said that if he tries to push it through, they're going to vote to stop him. There's a possibility, of course, that uh, it may trigger other events as well, effectively like leading to a vote of no confidence in the Prime Minister. That doesn't smack of unity or friendship or cooperation. It smacks of uh, viciousness. I don't think that there would be uh, the scenario that you outlined. Like. Of course, there's been... Yeah, but they've said that if he tries to push it through, they're going to gang up on him. I wouldn't say gang um, I, I think that, you know, it's clear that um, uh, a number of uh, MPs, Conservative and Labour, uh, didn't uh, uh, think that the, the intervention from the Remain camp yesterday was the wisest intervention. Yeah, but, I, but I'm talking specifically about the MPs in your party. Over 50 of them have said that they would actually vote against Mr Osborne if he tried to steer through an emergency budget. Yes, and that's one of the reasons why I think it won't happen. And I also think that um, uh, if we uh, take a couple of steps back, uh, there was a very good article by the uh, chairman of the 1922 committee, uh, Graham Brady, the, the, the spokesman of backbench conservative 
photographed today, of course, confirmed that he, like a majority of backbench colleagues, wants to vote to leave, but uh, he, even more than um, uh, that, also wants to make sure that the government remains stable and secure and governs in the national interest. And I think that Graham speaks effectively for all of us, backbenchers and frontbenchers, we want to ensure that the Prime Minister, whatever the result, stays in um, uh, Downing Street and can deliver uh, the full governing agenda that uh, he was elected to deliver just over a year ago. Right, but on the other hand, again, for all we know, he might not want to stay at the helm. We don't know how this vote is going to turn out. It may be very difficult for him to continue as PM, given uh, what has been expressed in this campaign, if, if we vote to leave. So if that job fell vacant, would you stand? The party would need no. a unifying figure. No, um, I, 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 I think... I absolutely um, uh, understand why uh, uh, folks want to speculate, but, but my view is clear that David Cameron should carry on as Prime Minister uh, for the full time. But if that job came up for grabs, why would you not stand as leader? It's a fantastic opportunity, and the way that you've conducted yourself in the campaign has impressed many of your colleagues in the out campaign and, indeed, uh, commentators who've, who've watched you. Well, it's very kind of you to say that, but it's not for me. Um, and I want the Prime Minister to carry on for as long as possible, uh, I'm, and I'm not interested in, um, uh, you know, uh, th- that sort of stuff. Can the party work together, get back together and be credible, given the depth of the split that this referendum has brought out into the public domain? Yes, I absolutely do think that. I mean, there's, 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 you know, this is an important issue. Passions are engaged. Uh, people put their case with uh, great force, but uh, the the, uh, the possibilities of um, you know uh, colleagues working together remain. And I I'm in a government department, um, half of whose ministers um, want to leave, half of whose ministers want to remain. But every day we work together in a cordial and friendly way in order to make sure that our prisons are run effectively, that our courts are run effectively. So. Um, uh, it's natural, and I don't criticise um, media for wanting to uh, paint a disagreement as though it were on, on one particular issue, as though it were ground for um, you know perpetual um, uh, dissent. The, the truth is that uh, while, as I say, this important issue does divide opinion, nevertheless, uh, the Conservative Party is united around uh, the desire to ensure that the manifesto on which we were elected is implemented in full. Okay, Michael Gove, as ever, a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. The pleasure's mine. Thank you very much. Thank you.